You're listening to Autism Talks presented by the Autism Society of Southern Arizona with support from Banner University Health Plans, Premier Wealth Advisors, Ascend Behavior Partners, Tucson Federal Credit Union, Happy Saguaro, Helping Hands Behavior Therapy, Meridian Wealth Management, Absolute HCBS, Intermountain Centers, Southwest Gas, Children's Clinics, AZ Aspire Academy, the Pima County Superintendent's Office, Arizona Lotus, Bear Central News, and Univision Contigo. Hi, I'm Bree Seward, Executive Director of the Autism Society of Southern Arizona, and welcome to Autism Talks, the podcast that keeps you plugged into resources and programs to help you navigate autism. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave a rating and review to help us spread the word to more families in need. Today, we are speaking with Kristen King, an autistic queer advocate. They are the co-facilitator along with the Autism Society of Southern Arizona for the Autism Education and Equity, a virtual public health discussion taking place on June 22nd. They work for Pima County Health Department COVID Schools team and were a co-founder of the Pima County Autism Campaign Project. Kristen is a student at Harvard College and will graduate in 2024. I've had the great pleasure to work with Kristen on developing and expanding our autism resources in collaboration with the Pima County Health Department. I'm excited to talk to Kristen about her experiences and what's in store for June 22nd. Let's get started. Hi, Kristen. I'm really excited to be speaking with you today, and I wanted you to share um, with our listeners a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Bree. It's an honor to be here, and my experience in working with ASSA has been incredible. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm a Harvard College student, um, but I am currently working for the Pima County Health Department. Uh, I work in COVID response, uh, particularly for our K-12 educational institutions, our private, public, and charter schools, uh, and I'm also a co-founder of our autism uh, project here at Pima County in conjunction with the Autism Society of Southern Arizona. Yes, and it's been so great getting to work with you and expand some of our autism resources into different um, community um, platforms. So it's really great to have been able to meet with you on this. So um, let's let's talk about and deconstruct some terminology and why identity first language is important to you. Um, and I can provide some context for this. So pe- for people who prefer person-first language, this choice recognizes that a human is first and foremost a person. So they have a disorder, but that disorder doesn't define them. And for people who prefer identity-first language, the choice is really about empowerment and that autism is a part of you, not separate from you. So it states that autism isn't something to be ashamed of and it's part of um, who you are as a person. So I'd love for you to elaborate on that a little bit more and share how you would like to be addressed and and maybe what's the reasoning behind that absolutely thank you for that brie i personally uh use uh uh autism first language so i identify as an autistic person 
The important thing to remember in this discussion, though, as applies to a lot of other terminologies in, in a lot of different communities, just not just in the autism community, is to defer to the person. So if an autistic person decides they would rather be identified as a person with autism, to respect that choice and use that person first language. And some people do make that choice and, and prefer to acknowledge that they are a person first, sometimes because they've experienced discrimination that makes them feel as though they weren't being addressed as a person or as a human being. I personally enjoy using autism first language and identifying as an autistic person um, because I think it reinforces this understanding that I can't separate myself from my autism, that everything I do is under this autism lens and it affects every second of every day and every decision that I make. And um, because of that inability to separate myself, it's a defining characteristic and so I enjoy putting that ahead of myself um, and my humanity because I think it, it makes it more specific um, and it serves sort of almost as an adjective. It's a describer of self for me. Um, but I think it varies from person to person. And we're definitely seeing a shift in younger autistic folks moving towards autism first language. But again, it depends. Yes. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I think it's really helpful and, and very educational. According to the CDC, boys are four times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls. I'm really interested to hear your perspective on some of the challenges that you face growing up as a girl um, with this diagnosis and how that might have been overlooked. Absolutely, Brie. I think that's a fantastic question and an issue we don't discuss enough in the autism community. Um, a lot of the diagnostic criteria and research that went on um, decades ago was based exclusively on men. And so a lot of our research, a lot of our criteria for um, assessing autism is, was never inclusive of women and non-binary people. And a lot of times women face uh, more misdiagnosis, frequently diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, attention deficit disorder, or uh, even just anxiety and depression um, more and more frequently than um, an autism diagnosis. In addition to that, of course, there's a lot of crossover with the racism um, and gender discrimination that occurs with this community as well as many others. Um, so diagnosis is infinitely less accessible um, to anyone that does not fit the cis straight white male narrative that was used when diagnostic criteria were initially created. Yeah, that's really great. And I think, you know, more conversations like this can help the community become more aware that um, it is something that, you know, girls do have and that different signs to look out for and, and watch for and, and what we can do to help with that, you know, early diagnosis piece. So right, Brie. And I think, um, you know, considering autism as a neurodevelopmental disorder and the developmental characteristics of boys and girls are very, very different. You know, we see different age-based progression uh, and maturity and puberty um, characteristics of, of boys and girls. And we've uh, used that in a lot of other spheres of medical study and taken that into consideration. And I think it's being addressed less in the autism community than it is other places. And I think we need to talk about that. Yeah. I'd like to talk about, you know, some of the therapies or people specifically that have helped you succeed in life. Absolutely. And as someone who has only relatively recently been made aware of their own autism, um, 
this is something I'm still learning a lot about too. Um, when I was really young, I did a lot of occupational therapy and physical therapy um, to sort of present as um, neurotypical or what was viewed as normal um, for a child at the time, not knowing my neurodivergency. Um, and I think there are a lot of therapies out there for people that are really, really helpful. And it's about finding what works best for you or for your child or your family member, um, whether that be speech language pathology or other types of therapy um, and you know, focusing on specific realms uh, that might need a little bit more focus instead of trying to um, encourage this notion of treating or curing autism, which I think is a really toxic narrative um, and can encourage these, these lines of thought about there's something about there being something wrong with being autistic, which there absolutely isn't. Um, it's a matter of how do you become the most successful version of yourself, whatever that means for you, um, regardless of how you appear in a neurotypical space. Mm -hmm. I so agree with that. And I always try to encourage parents that if you're on a wait list to be diagnosed, and we know those wait lists can be up to a year, um, that there are still great therapies out there that you can do. So if your child is struggling with speech, communication, if maybe they're having meltdowns because they can't communicate to you that they're hungry or they're too hot or, or you know need to a change of routine, something like that, that there's speech therapy. And if you have you know struggles or developmental issues with your body, your gross motor, fine motor, that occupational therapy is a great avenue to help with those deficits. And it can really make a significant difference in your development. Um, and even just socialization, just being with other kids and just learning how to play and, and learning how to communicate is really key. Um, you know, I learned a lot with my own son that um, peers were the greatest source of therapy for him because he could really learn from them um, and grow through talking back and forth with them and, and learning how to play. So I think there's a lot of different um, avenues out there to help with development. Absolutely. And I want to touch on, you know, making sure autistic folks really take advantage of mentorship opportunities, whether that be through other autistic people or through folks that know a little bit about autism. I have amazing people here in my workplace that make things more accessible for me and help me navigate things like tonal changes or um, understanding intercommunication, things that I'm not necessarily um, good at in, in a neurotypical space and figuring out how to use my skill sets to um, the advantage of, of the entire department and to, of my team and my work group. Um, and I think it's really important for that, it, you know, relating to that peer learning experience, being able to, you know, lean on the people around you and have those mentorship opportunities, I think is really crucial for autistic people, especially. Um, and the work that we do um, as autistic people doesn't need to happen through formalized therapy. It can happen through your own research. It can happen through working with neurotypical people in your life or other autistic people. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of different ways to go about that self-growth and there's no wrong way to do it. No. And I think reaching out to resources like yourself, Brie, and ASSA, who have um, great knowledge of local resources is a great place to start if you don't know where to begin or you're on a wait list, um, you know, reaching out to your local autism society chapter or other community-based organizations that are going to have wide knowledge of therapies and resources available in the community. 
Yeah, that's really great. And, you know, at the Autism Society, we are driven by parents. So it we can share our experiences with other families navigating the challenges of state services or insurance or, you know, which therapies are even out there and where do you even begin? I know I struggled with not knowing what to do after a diagnosis. And we really have those key next step guides and resources to help families um, with that walk. I, I'd love to know what you would say to a parent who has a child that was recently diagnosed with autism. What would your words be to them? Absolutely. And I know from personal experience and from talking to a lot of parents of autistic um, kids and students that sometimes it really is a relief. It's a relief to have a label to put to things that felt out of the ordinary or felt, um, you know, stressful and, you know, raising an autistic kid is, is hard. It's not as hard as being autistic, but, um, you know, it's, we can't underestimate, you know, the, the depth of that experience. And so I would just encourage any parent with a recently diagnosed child um, to reach out to community resources, reach out to other parents, establish those community-based connections, um, because it really is a community. You're not alone in this. And um, we all have a lot to learn and we all have a lot of growth to do. And the autism community is one that's consistently learning and growing as, be, as we become more equitable, more accessible, um, and diagnosis becomes more widespread um, to be reflective of the actual autistic population. And so it's worth having those conversations and reaching out to others. Yep. That's definitely what I did. And it's very helpful to start putting um, in place and building your, your network and your village to help you along the way. So I would love to also know what you would want to communicate to employers about autism. You're working at the Pima County Health Department. You have great mentors around you. Um, that have been willing to hear your voice, your perspective, and better um, equip the community in learning how to provide safe spaces for autistic individuals and, and helping them thrive in the workplace. So what would you want to communicate and convey to employers in regards to autism? Absolutely. I think employers, uh, uh, along with a lot of these other um, groups that we're prioritizing through the Pima County Autism Education Project, is just basic understanding, whether that be terminology, what is autism, how prevalent is autism, how prevalent is unemployment in the autism community, right? You know, there are certain studies that'll say only 12% of autistic people have ever held full-time employment after secondary education, and, and helping folks to understand how their hiring practices could be more equitable and accessible and helping folks to understand on a very basic level what autism in the workplace looks like and helping them to understand that just because they don't think there are autistic people in the workplace doesn't mean there aren't. Um, there are a lot of autistic people who choose not to be openly autistic at work. Um, and I think employers aren't really aware of that. No, that's really great. Um, and what would you want to communicate to the schools about autism? And this could be, I mean, it's a big question. So whether you're talking to students or teachers, administration, I mean, what, what would you want the message to be for schools in prioritizing um, services and supports for individuals who have a diagnosis? I think there's a lot of almost blind referral that's happening. The people who know things about autism um, are 
even maybe not knowing the most basic of terminology. Um, and I think it's similar to our employers, similar to those situations. It's about having a higher percentage of the general holistic or not autistic population understand on a basic level, what does the communication look like? What are some tactics I can use when I'm communicating with an autistic person or student or staff member, um, right? And how can I make my spaces better suited to that? Um, this whole project started because of a conversation I was having with a, another autistic friend, and we were talking about fire alarms and how a lot of those emergency preparedness drills are not um, suitable for folks with disabilities, specifically autistic students. They're not handled in a way that is um, friendly uh, to those populations. And that's what this all this whole project came out of. And we've developed all sorts of resources um, for employers, for schools, for parents, and for some of these other priority groups. Um, and we'll have the link on the ASSA website as well. But you can also go to pima.gov slash autism uh, and see a lot of the work that we've been putting together. Yeah, it's been great. And I think even when I speak um, to different schools or um, businesses, just having a conversation about autism and seeing somebody's eyes open and say, oh, I, I didn't realize, you know, maybe their a child might not be ignoring me, but they might just have a deficit in their development. And it's part of the characteristics of autism um, in not you know, being receptive to communication or having a speech delay, things like that, like little, um, you know, just information that we can communicate about autism and it can maybe help a, a child in the future or it can help an employer know, you know, what type of supports and communication that they can create in the workspace to make it comfortable and suitable uh, for autistic individuals and welcoming. I just think we're breaking down barriers. Um, we're creating, um, you know, a, a conversation, a space for, for people to learn about autism. And I think it can really make a difference in the community. And on a bigger scale, what would you want the world to know about autism? I think we need to have a greater focus on there not being one look for autism. We're, we're moving away from that decades old narrative that it's male dominated um, and you know, you're significantly more likely to get a diagnosis at a younger age if you're white. And, you know, we need to, we need to start really internalizing, um, making autism spaces and autistic spaces um, suitable for all autistic people, and that there is no one way to be autistic. Right. That's really great. Um, I'm really excited um, about June 22nd. I'd love um, for you to talk about what's in store for the upcoming virtual autism education and equity public health discussion and what you have up your sleeve. So can you talk a little bit about that for the audience? Absolutely. Um, so in conjunction with PCHD and the Autism Society of Southern Arizona, we're going to be hosting this incredible virtual conference uh, to talk about all things autism, everything from um, talking about education on a state level with the state superintendent of education and public instruction, Kathy Hoffman, um, all the way to um, disability law in the state of Arizona and what that looks like uh, working with national uh, autistic advocates 
students and educators um, from all over the country and even all over the world, having autistic people come to the same virtual space, speak about their experiences and talk about equity and moving forward in the autism community and what we can do to um, create policy changes, develop better um, infrastructural support um, at the local city, county and state level and inspire national awareness and acceptance uh, for autism and also using that as leverage for greater conversations about disabilities as a whole. It's a huge population within the United States and um, I'm really excited for us to have this conversation uh, with an equity focus and a public health lens to be able to talk about how autism really does affect all of us and yeah. hear directly from autistic people. Yeah, this is so exciting. And the Autism Society of Southern Arizona is really thrilled to be part of this and working with you to deliver this to the community. Um, our CEO and president of the Autism Society of America will be speaking um, and some of our board members and autistic leaders um, in the field uh, uh, will be presenting as well and really excited for what is in store for that date. Um, what's your desired outcome for bringing these leaders together to focus on autism? Yeah, I really just want to raise awareness and acceptance. And we're going to hear a lot about that from uh, Chris Banks, the CEO of Autism Society of America, that, that move towards acceptance that we really need to shift our mindset towards. Um, but I want people to realize that everyone has a connection to autism, whether it be through our parents panel or our students panel or hearing from any number of advocates or, you know, whether you're... Um, you run a business and you want to hear from other employers who work with autistic employees and what that looks like, whether you um, work in, you work for the county or work in public health and want to talk about what that looks like, you work in education, you know, there's a link for everyone at this conference and a, and a reason for everyone to be invested in autism education, um, not just locally, but also statewide and nationally. And so I think what we really want to do is just start those conversations and make sure that we're going to keep having them. Well, it has been pure joy working with you on this, and I'm very excited for June 22nd. Can you let our friends know how to register and when the conference is? Absolutely. So it'll be entirely virtual between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Arizona time on June 22nd. And you can register by going to pima.gov slash autism. Um, and there will be links on the ASSA website, uh, as well as the pima.gov website. And we have an Eventbrite where you can register that's linked uh, at, again, at pima.gov slash autism, as well as attachments to all of the resources that we've talked about here today. So you can access them and share them within your community. This is wonderful. And it is a free event. Um, so I'm very excited to be partnering with you on this and all of the great things we still have yet to do. So thank you for your time, Kristen, and hope everyone can register and we will see you on June 22nd. Thank you. Thanks, Bree. Please consider making a donation to the Autism Society of Southern Arizona. We need your support to continue our virtual programs and workshops. Visit as-az.org to donate today.